2: everybody welcome back to status pending this is the case overview series with scott fuller and heather Wrights. back with you for another case here this week heather how are you i am here (laughs) thank you thank you i rely on your emotive positive energy and i'm just absorbing all of the vitamin positive energy coming from ohio
1: right now oh boy
2: for those who are new to the show heather lives in ohio i live in minnesota and we've been doing this show together for five years now in various forms what we do right now for the last couple of years is alternate unsolved unresolved or cases that have lingering questions every other week so as i present the case this week heather has not done the research with me and vice versa and then we uh Comments on the case, unveil what there is to be unveiled, and basically just put it on the internet to advocate so that people are aware that these things happened. These cases are out there. That's about what we do, right?
1: That was a really good summation, honestly.
2: Good. Uh with all that, any announcements to uh I mean we got the True Crime Podcast Festival in August. Mm -hmm. Get to that website and we have the promo code status for 15% off if you do want to go i know it's a commitment to like sign up for something in another city but the way, i don't know how you do it but the way i think you do it the same way i do like about this time of the year if i'm thinking about where i'm going to be in different parts of the summer i will just do it and then i have to then yep. i'm committed i will just jump <laughs> into the pool sign up for everything and it seemed like a couple of weeks ago that's what you were doing with a flurry if i'm going right now
1: yep. they kind of made me decide you know, at the time that I did too because there were different promotions and you had to have something submitted by a certain time and I'm like, ah, I can't wait anymore. That's why I did it when I did it. But yeah. yeah.
2: But um, at least one of us is going to be there. And that's in Austin, Texas at the end of August, right? 27th?
1: 25th through the 27th, yes. There we go.
2: Truecrimepodcastfestival.com. And now they've expanded that to like ghost and paranormal. Yeah,
1: the paranormal stuff. too. So there will be paranormal podcast hosts Love it. there as well.
2: Love it. Statuspendingpodcast.com is going to be up and it's going to need some further tweaking but we're just going to put it up there just to get that uh, welcome page gone the coming soon page gone so check that out by the time this episode hits your feed i do have the case this week and we're going to do that coming up next
0: with the lucky land
2: slots you can get lucky just about anywhere Are you passionate about uncovering the truth and bringing justice to victims? Do you love the paranormal and spooky tales? We know you do. And that's why you won't want to miss the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival that's taking place in Austin, Texas, August 25th to 27th of this summer, 2023. The festival features panel discussions, workshops, and live podcasts being recorded right there in front of you with a special focus on ethics and advocacy in the true crime sphere that's very important. Topic, now more than ever. Get your tickets now at truecrimepodcastfestival.com and join us in Austin for an unforgettable experience. Don't miss out on the chance to connect with other advocates and take your passion for true crime and the paranormal to the next level. Book your tickets today. We can get you 15% off for attendee and attendee VIP tickets if you use the code STATUS at checkout. That's truecrimepodcastfestival.com use our promo code status at checkout for 15 percent off and we'll see you in austin texas this august 25th through the 27th
0: it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win
2: We have a family Facebook group of the Fullers. I don't know if you guys do that.
1: Oh, no. Because we're
2: all in different parts of the country, and we don't use it a ton, but it's a good way to, like, announce something that's kind of minor but kind of major, you know. I like that. My sister, I believe, posted a link to an article with a case two or three weeks ago, and this case took place uh, just before I was born but it uh, occurred in a town that I was very familiar with, kind of grew up next to in the mountains of Colorado. I grew up in Blackhawk, and nearby, if you're familiar with the area, Idaho Springs. And so this case happened in Idaho Springs in 1983. And it's interesting because I was not really familiar with it until I got about halfway through this week, and then I realized, I have heard about this case, but what people would say is is not at all close to what I, what I found with the local rumor was people were still talking about it anyway that's where we're going here this week idaho springs colorado and we're going to be talking about a 14 year old named beth miller beth being short for elizabeth it's interesting looking back on cases from that long ago i mean now 83 is where we're going back to so now we're in like home movie territory you know, in Polaroids. And if you got your Don't picture... Don't
1: knock it. I I, I'm it.
2: fine with it. I wish it was more that way now. Me too. It was, it was kind of a unique deal to get your picture taken, right? You mm-hmm. didn't get that done every day. Somebody had a really big actual camera.
1: And then you had to go develop your film and you were anticipating yeah. what the pictures would look like. Yeah.
2: So looking at Beth's photos, she's very uh, outgoing, happy, kind of a silly, though. I think silly is the word. Um, gregarious kind of a girl it seems from the photos and she is again 14 years old so entering high school she's going into high school and she'd already been offered an invitation to at least try out for the varsity basketball team in idaho springs so she's very excited about that she's not there yet though this is august this is the late summer they're getting ready to go back to school and to get ready for the upcoming basketball season to get her shot to play varsity basketball just as a 14 15 year old she was running about once every day, at least once every day. She'd get friends or teammates or whoever would run with her around Idaho Springs. And we've all seen this kind of Dateline episode before. You can guess where this is going. Tuesday it was, August 16th, 1983. Beth ended up jogging alone on that day, and that was the last day that she was ever seen. And whatever happened to her, her case remains unsolved today. Beth was one of seven children, seven, born to Mike and Eileen Miller. And the two of them, very busy family. You're going to get a picture really quick of how what this household was kind of like. Because Mike worked for a mining company. Eileen worked for the highway patrol as like a typist or a transcriptionist, something like that. So they both have full-time jobs. And then there are seven children of various ages all the way up to the high school age. And you can imagine that that's very chaotic kind of a scene kind of a household everybody's oh, got yeah. how many obligations every week
1: kind of reminds me of like the home alone opening exactly. scene exactly <laughs> first scene of
2: home alone where it's yeah. just, just chaos everybody's mm-hmm. running everywhere and nobody knows where anybody else is so actually the family had this system that seems like the best idea I can think of pre-cell phones or the internet they had a just a blackboard in the kitchen and they would write notes to each other as to where they're going throughout the day as people are coming and going from the house
1: that's a really good idea it's a good
2: idea so the mom or dad would come home and they would see so-and-so is doing this Mm -hmm. and you get a picture of where your kid is whereas opposed to now if they're old enough you just might text them initially on that day august the 16th both mike and eileen were under the impression that beth was babysitting and i'm not really sure why i'm not sure if she was supposed to and then didn't i don't know if she was and then that ended early as it ends up though she's going to be jogging as we find out later but at initially on that day mom or dad didn't know where she was but they did follow up it's not just like well we'll see her later on tonight then they were asking all the other children who were in the house at that time do you know where Elizabeth is the last family member to have actually seen her at the house I think was a younger sister 13 year old Lisa who's a year younger and Lisa said "Uh, I saw her at such and such a time don't have that time I'm not sure where she is but I don't think she's babysitting and so mom and dad both went into kind of active panic mode it's sort of been described right about that point so they're trying to track down what happened to beth but all these years later now this from 1983 all the way up to now one of her sisters named lynn has kind of taken up the mantle as advocating for her sister's case and she's giving interviews recently this is how i found this story it turns out that this case kind of led lynn to be a police officer and not just a cop but she eight years after her sister went missing lynn went on to first join the idaho springs police department and then the Clear Creek County Sheriff's Department. And so a period of time after her sister's gone missing, as all the intervening stuff has happened that we're about to talk about, she's actually the lead investigator on her sister's case for a time. And I can't think of ever hearing that happen before.
1: Yeah, I was just about to ask, isn't that like a huge conflict of interest? You
2: would think it would be. By the time, though, Lynn had... um, had acquired that position, it was already a cold case.
1: Yeah, but I can see somebody going out there and investigating their own loved one's case, like kind of on their own and getting a private investigator, things like that. From the department itself, from their standpoint, that just seems like it wouldn't be appropriate.
2: I don't know if appropriate. It's a good story, but I think it's, a a, like you said, I think it's an internal conflict that would be hard to reconcile with the other responsibilities that you have with that Mm job.
1: Yeah, because they're going to want to Well, I mean, if it was me, I would want to focus all of my energy on my loved one, which is probably what they would be fearful.
2: Yeah. And that's the opposite of day to day police work in most departments. The reason Mm -hmm. they have dedicated cold case teams is because without those dedicated teams who do that full time, it's just the natural progression of any department that those are the very last things on the list because you've got day-to-day stuff ordinances you've got enforcement all the testifying in court everything a police officer has to do nobody has time for a increasingly cold case so i'm not sure how i wouldn't recommend it but I, i did note that i can't remember ever hearing a sibling especially investigating their their siblings disappearance directly lynn does Come into a position to be the lead investigator at one point, and certainly directly involved in the official investigation into Beth's case. And she was kind of expecting when she got into that position that she would see all the files and that there was just something that for some reason hadn't been followed up on, or that there was some kind of answer that could be connected um, in, inside the file if she just gave it enough time and enough energy. But what she actually found was much worse. Lynn now believes that the case was not investigated correctly. Pretty much from the beginning but especially as it went on through the initial months and years and there is some cooperation for that claim a i'm reading from nine news.com here a 2007 grand jury report about beth's disappearance bolsters mclaughlin's claims that's lynn's last name now it points to quote documents and statements that were lost or destroyed and jurisdictional disputes that were at fault for slowing and eventually sabotaging the investigation it sounds like a nightmare Uh, Four decades later, Lynn now says she continues to hope that Beth's remains will one day be found and prays that anyone with information about what happened to her little sister will come forward when they can. She says, quote, please, please don't take it to your grave. Don't take it with you, end quote. But there was that grand jury report, or if that leads them anywhere. So they basically, I think, called a bunch of witnesses to this grand jury as sort of an inquest as opposed to um, a prosecutor's inquest is supposed to, say, a prosecutor asking for confirmation that there's enough, at least, uh, evidence to start thinking about an indictment, which is what it can be used for. But grand juries are also, also investigative. And this investigative grand jury was asked to look at the case. And those jurors said, basically, this case is FUBAR from the word go. And they make comments along the lines of, I don't think, you know, we don't think an indictment can be gotten at all because of how bad it is. So there's not a whole lot of specifics about what got screwed up or when or by who. Jurisdictional disputes and lost documents, lost statements, stuff like that, and then stating the investigation was sabotaged from the beginning, which is unfortunate. Lynn believes that this case would be solved had it been handled differently.
1: We talk about that a lot too, that that hindsight, especially with things that we know now, but I, I can definitely see where she's coming from with this one.
2: When it comes to criminal cases, what is the whole job of the police department it's to gather evidence for a prosecution Mm -hmm. if they don't do that then you're not going to get a prosecution I, i don't i haven't seen the documents so to speak but i don't think she's far off especially as we get further and further into what happened so let's go back to august of 1983 beth was abducted on that tuesday august 16th And immediately, the community and law enforcement and anybody in just a first responder capacity or any kind of capacity for searching, not to mention Beth's friends and family and her mom and dad's friends and family. And they have hundreds of people that show up over the next few days. And they're working the Clear Creek County Mountains. They have horseback, they have ATVs, they're on foot. Mountain rescue teams were brought in. Those are prominent in that part of Colorado. People go skiing in the backcountry or they go hiking and get lost. So these people we were brought in to help with dogs, helicopters, pretty extensive search from the sounds of it. And it lasted, I think the initial search lasted five, six days, the most of it. And then weeks and weeks later, people are still searching just smaller on their own time. Nothing has ever been found from any of those searches. I mean, that's what they say. Searches like that will find stuff and a whole lot of stuff. But is it relevant to the case? And they didn't find anything that they think is is relevant. Um, in the meantime, if you go back to uh, the, the archives in this case, I think we're talking about Lynn, who's in the newspaper, who later becomes officer and then deputy Lynn. One of her sisters, anyway, worked with, quote, an investigator trained in hypnosis, end quote, in a desperate attempt to generate leads or suspects in those first days and weeks after the investigation. Not great when you're talking about hypnotizing somebody, usually not a great sign um, within the first days. Um, but here's what they were getting at with that. It was a long shot, but somebody had reportedly seen Beth talking to a man in a small red pickup truck the weekend before her disappearance. This was a Tuesday. This would have been three, four days before. The truck supposedly had a white shell or topper and some kind of license plates that were dark blue and white or black and white. Um, I went, of course, back to... Find what all the states' license plates look like I was in 1983. Just about to ask you. <laughs> and I'm going to post all these. I, I got nine of them. Mm-hmm. Well, eight of them, and then Colorado's for comparison. But I'll post these to the website with this post. The license plate thing with the description of dark blue and white or black and white. It's not really clear if the lettering is white or black or vice versa. And there are, I mean, license plates in the 80s were kind of boring. Now they're sort of fancy and they have all these graphics and colors. And not back then. Colorado's actually is one of the better license plates back in the 80s. But if you look at Texas's, it's just white with black lettering. Or Ohio's back then was just white backgrounds and kind of a dark blue lettering. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably still is.
1: No, we have fancy stuff now. Fancy
2: stuff now. Come to Ohio. You won't suspect a thing. California's back then had dark, had kind of a almost a navy blue with yellow lettering, which might appear white in certain circumstances if you're not familiar with the license plate. So it was good to have a vehicle description, but at the end of the day, the topper is the most distinctive thing about it because the license plate description is pretty vague and everybody has a small red pickup truck in the 80s and 90s. So that, But that was the description that they were working off of and to the point where they're hypnotizing people who might have seen this, this uh, truck. And I'm guessing... They were trying to get, like, a number, a license plate number out of whoever they were hypnotizing or something more specific. Um, This encounter, though, sometimes you might wonder, well, if it's one witness, did it really happen? And it's that hindsight that you just mentioned. But this, this I think, we can put some stock in because several of her friends uh, reported this encounter, which means that she told several of her friends, or several of her friends may have been with her at the time. But they provide the police... A first name for this guy in the truck a couple of days before is Claude, and they describe him as being in his early 30s with light brown or sandy-colored collar-length hair. That in the truck is what they have to go off of. Better than nothing, but not specific enough to even really know where to start, aside from just asking around about trucks with toppers. So one thing to know about Idaho Springs is it's on i seventy between denver and the metro area there and then the continental divide and then on uh further west and idaho springs is on the interstate very close off the interstate like as you're driving on the interstate you can look in people's houses pretty much and it's a canyon that clear creek would have carved you know forever ago it's a very tight canyon place but the interstate runs through it if you can imagine that And so when we're talking about vehicles and license plates, we have to factor that this is an interstate situation, as comes up with a whole lot of our cases. Just the fact that an interstate goes through a place, especially directly through a place where a case happened, it's one factor that you kind of have to keep open, especially back in the 80s and 90s. Beth's parents right away said it's unlikely that she was abducted by a stranger. All of the children were taught since they were babies, mom said, to avoid strangers. Beth's parents did say that she might have, she would have fought off a stranger or at least put up a fight and caused a commotion or a scene, but she may have gotten into a vehicle with somebody who she knew or she trusted or had reason to trust. The search area I'm going to put up on the website as well for this post, but you can see relative to idaho springs where the search area is and you can't really it's hard to tell from a two-dimensional map but this is pretty rugged terrain and it's hilly there's canyons there's creeks mount evans is not too far away so this is very granular undulating uh, mountain terrain even the interstate hard to explain if you've never driven i-70 what exactly that's like but truckers can attest to that so after a week or so they scale back The search effort is fruitless. They never find anything. So as months go by, police are still under pressure to work this case. Still a relatively prominent case in the media, but nothing is coming in, at least publicly. So they're fielding hundreds of calls from psychics over the first months. I think in the first two years, they took something like 300 psychic phone calls and they followed followed them up, they said. By summer of 84, police had pursued thousands of leads, they said. And that is usually kind of where our cases stop, right? I mean, if there's no husband to look at, nobody in a close circle like that.
1: No boyfriends. No, no boyfriends, boyfriends. There's no, trouble no at work. Yeah.
2: yeah, nothing comes up and it, it kinda stops there and you just have that sketch of some, you know, very average looking guy with sandy blonde hair in this right. red pickup truck. That's yeah. about but this case took a lot of twists. First of these events in this case happens a year following Beth's disappearance from idaho springs we're going to go to colorado springs i know they sound similar but they're very different they're 100 miles apart it's like an hour and a half drive between the two very different places colorado springs is in the south kind of on the front range idaho springs is just as you're in the mountains west of denver so these are not the same places on july 24th of 84 so almost a year after beth's disappearance at a car wash in colorado springs 100 miles away somebody finds a message written on a metal panel and the message is basically a confession uh, from the guy who killed he says murdered beth miller and it's signed the message was signed robert storm this message that's written on a piece of metal at this car wash takes credit for beth's murder the previous summer and announces plans that he's going to kill again The killer claimed in this writing to already have another victim in mind. And he named the victim a girl named Shauna Webb. And by the time that somebody found this communication at the car wash, Shauna Webb had been murdered.
1: So, sorry, did you say how old this guy was?
2: Not yet. Shauna is 17 and Beth was 14. You know, we don't know at this point if Robert Storm's a real guy, right? Who signs their murder <laughs> confession with their real name? But they find this uh, writing at the car wash. They got Beth from a year before, and by the time they find it, Shauna has also been murdered in the way that it appears the killer of both young girls had planned and and carried out his plan. That's the way it looks. Shauna, by the way, found alongside a rural road 10 miles outside of Colorado Springs, so again a full 100 miles away from Beth, but she had been shot in the temple with a single twenty-two caliber bullet No other trauma to the body was indicated at her autopsy. So it almost looked like she'd been walked out there and shot. Yeah. Shauna's murder had occurred on May the 5th, 1984 is when she was killed. The following day, May the 6th, two months before this writing is found at the car wash, 18-year-old Robert Arnold Storm had been arrested and charged with second-degree murder, for which he was later convicted for Shauna's murder. So to back up on the timeline... Yeah, Beth disappearing in 83, summer of 83. A year later, Shauna Webb is shot. And then, two months later, is found this writing that seems... You can't tell when it's written, but it seems to be written in between the two murders. I, I am not going down the Shauna Webb story here, but the basics are friends of Arnold Storm. And by the way, note that he is actually, if he's the writer of the uh, the Car Wash Communication... Robert Storm has actually signed his confession with his real name. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yes, at that trial that happens after Shauna uh, is found and he is indicted, Arnold Storm's friends testified he'd recently been upset with Shauna's refusal to go to the prom with him. One of Shauna's friends testified Arnold then called Shauna a week before, uh, a week before her murder, and told her that she would be sacrificed to the devil.
1: Oh, Jesus.
2: All this occurred months before this communication that is ostensibly written by storm that was found at the car wash, but when the dots are finally connected, authorities said, wait a minute, this guy signed his own name, basically, to a confession of Shauna, who he later, two months later, found that he had killed her. What about Beth? Of these developments, a sheriff's lieutenant told the media, quote, it does not appear to be the same Beth Miller, end quote. And that's all the police said. They weren't buying it, that it was connected.
1: So is there another Beth Miller out there that
2: was murdered? I mean, maybe they found... So I was thinking maybe they found one at her high school. It's not an uncommon name, Elizabeth or Beth Miller. That's Mm -hmm. definitely possible. And there are way weirder name coincidences coming up later in the episode. But I don't know how you can write it off for that reason. You can say, we think he killed Shauna, but not Beth. But I don't think... Nah, it's not that Beth Miller. What other Beth Miller... Are we talking about confessing to killing a year ago? How many Beth Millers died in 1983? Right. (laughs) So that response from the police department didn't make sense. Whether or not Mm -mm. you want to think that Robert Storm had anything to do with both of them. He was convicted for second degree murder for um, Shawna Webb. Apparently, again, not to go into the trial, but the best that we closest we got to the truth was they were drinking beer together in his car or truck or whatever. He drove her out there and shot her. And she probably didn't even see it coming, if we believe what came up in the court. And all because she didn't go to prom with him.
1: So she didn't go to prom with him, but she decided she'd go out drinking with him instead? doesn't
2: make sense. So, yeah, I'm I'm not thinking that. And that didn't even come from him. He didn't testify, but that came from one of his friends. And prosecution was like, good enough, close enough, basically. And he was convicted. He is, uh, he's out now, of course. This was a while ago. So he's out and he still lives in Colorado. Mm. Just FYI. It's amazing what Beth's parents are doing in the following years. Um, they were out there advocating for right away in the media. And that's kind of when reporters are asking you, it's easier to answer, answer questions if you do want to do that as a family member in this impossible situation. But when they stop asking and people move on, that's where you have to decide if you're going to be an advocate or, or not. And there's all kinds of different victims that we talk to, family members of victims, and they run the gamut, the whole spectrum. Some people never want to talk about it ever again. Some people wear literally T-shirts and drive cars that we've talked to with their missing or murdered family member plastered everywhere for everybody to see. Neither is uh, is right or wrong. I don't think we've talked about this a lot before, but it's just the way people process an impossible situation. Mm -hmm. But best parents, after the reporters stop calling, they decide they're going to advocate, and they end up distributing thousands, hundreds of thousands, Uh, eventually, of flyers with her image and her information across the country. And it generates a couple of things. In December of 1984, so a year and some months after she's gone missing, there's a lead of a woman in Little Rock, Arkansas, who resembled Beth. She was questioned by police. That one was pretty quickly written off. There's a similar sighting the following year. It's an interesting story, this one, because police in Florida come to believe that Beth Miller is there. And the reason they come to believe it is because somebody, I think, brought it to their attention that this looks like this missing girl from Colorado. And they they asked her about it, and she didn't want to acknowledge it. But then she kind of reluctantly said, yeah, that's me. And I'm sure they, you know, they're police officers. They talk to people uh, every day, interview form. They develop, they think, at least a pretty good sense for who's telling the truth or not. And for some reason, there's something about the way she was answering these questions or maybe what she said. That, that sold the police in Florida to the extent where Beth's parents got on a plane that was chartered by some law enforcement agency at midnight and flew directly to Florida to meet this woman. And Beth's mom said didn't even have to get within 100 feet. I could tell it wasn't her. But they had flown all the way down there. Their hopes are probably up because why would the police, you know, they must be pretty sure if they're putting us on a plane Yeah. to go down there. And then they get there and realize, no. So they're, And that
1: was two years later?
2: Yeah, yeah. About or the following year, maybe 85. There's a similar incident in San Francisco. Police there receive an anonymous tip that Beth is being held at this specific apartment building in the Bay Area of San Francisco. They give the apartment name of the complex. Police go out, they can't find this apartment complex, and they think that might have been a hoax because it had recently received some attention nationally in Parade magazine. So, all these different sightings, as we often see in cases, especially if they get any media attention. Um, that all happens here in this case too and i'm sure many many more that weren't publicly reported if you're wondering with the interstate connection in the age and some other factors about human trafficking that was something that was looked into in beth's case although i, I can't imagine their understanding a law enforcement understanding of human trafficking is remotely close to what it is now it's referred to back in the 80s like here they're looking into a highway slave ring operated at various interstate truck stops basically talking about the same thing and that was probably happening i'm sure it was is happening law enforcement might not have been able to get their arms around it and know where to look or it might have operated in secret and i love our truckers our over the road guys and gals you're the best to keep the country going but just like any population you know we can make a list of the truck driving long haul serial killers just Mm -hmm. the ones that we know about so all that stuff is probably going on it just wasn't talked about until, you know, like right now, the last few years. But that possibility is one with Mike and Irene where she's alive in that case. So it's kind of one that they cling to for several years as a possibility. As other girls start go missing around Colorado and there are other cases across the West and across the country, sometimes best parents would meet with them and say we've been here before this happened to us we still haven't found our daughter we had no idea what happened we worked with the police they screwed it up whatever they want to say and they could give kind of advice and some counsel to these parents who were in similar situations as their children would go missing but by 85 most of the hope for finding their daughter alive is gone 10 years after so that would be um, 95 10 12 years after beth miller was legally declared dead. And they did have a memorial service for her in August of 1995. But we are nowhere near done with the twists here. Authorities are investigating one uh, JonBenet Ramsey homicide investigation in Boulder, Colorado. JonBenet mm-hmm. Ramsey murdered in 1997, Christmas, in Boulder. Boulder, not very far from Idaho Springs.
1: I don't know if I've ever heard of this case.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is wild, though. In, in looking for suspects from just anywhere... For John Bonet, just FBI database style. Columbus, Ohio, a 35 year old man named James Parton was arrested, kind of got caught up in this John Bonet investigation. He was arrested for distributing child pornography. So he comes to the attention of John Bonet Ramsey investigators, and uh, the reason why is because he had a photo of John Bonet Ramsey. So John Bonet had, at that point, though, been killed a year before his arrest, and there is, as you alluded to, a huge media coverage maybe the largest media firestorm in american true crime history mm-hmm. definitely one of the top five so it's not super surprising that this james parton of columbus ohio who has child porn on his computer might have a souvenir you know photo from somewhere of john A. ramsey so they clear him of that pretty quickly but among the items found in the search of this guy's home in ohio included an old newspaper clipping of the beth miller case as well as a map of idaho springs Reportedly, on the map, three X's at different Mm -hmm. locations. Yeah. Police figure out that James Parton had once lived in Idaho Springs. Idaho Springs is not a big town. I don't know if I've ever met anybody from Idaho Springs or lived in Idaho Springs outside of Colorado. That's interesting. But he wasn't living there at the time. He was in Colorado. He was in the Army stationed at Fort Carson when Beth disappeared. I've seen less solid links lead to the guy. That's for sure. So he faced 21 years on the child porn. Ca- just trigger warning, Heather. Get ready. Brace yourself. Exactly. Forgot about this. He faced 21 years on those child porn charges. He was sentenced to five. He was released in two months because of a whole bunch of different reasons they gave. They said he didn't have a significant criminal history. He's a good little boy, et cetera, et cetera. He did get five years probation.
1: Ohio is the <laughs> Florida sibling, I'm telling you.
2: 21-year possible sentence, sentenced to five, out in two months. Two months and five years probation.
1: This is why we have offenders who re-offend.
2: I just want to put this in context. It is technically a, a count of child pornography if you have some kind of sexually exploitive image of a minor on your phone. There are massive degrees of difference between that and a sexual offender who is trafficking in it, images and distributing it. That's a whole other class. So there are degrees to this thing. This is all the way back in what year was this, 1998? This is the, what I'm trying to get at here is this is the very dawn of child porn on the internet, basically. So if you're one of these guys that's doing it back then, you're not accidentally somehow getting an image of, let's just say a 16-year-old that is presented to you online as a 21-year-old. That's not what we're talking about. Right. This guy is, just the fact that he has porn on the internet at all in 1997. Right. He's
1: seeking it out.
2: Is a red flag, or should be yeah. a red flag. But this wasn't, nobody cared. That The best way to say this is the fact that he ter- he served two months in, in prison for having, I think it was like 60 or 80 of these images or whatever it was. But that oh. shows where society was at when it comes to child porn in the 90s. And that's not totally unrelated from John JonBenet Ramsey. I would posit, but that's a different... That's a different episode.
1: This is infuriating.
2: <laughs> so anyway, I'm like shaking. Well, all right. right so he gets what's coming, though. So he's released in two months. Yeah, here in two, 2004, he gets caught again. And he was oh. sentenced oh. at that point to a mandatory 10 years in prison because of a second offense.
1: Was this in Ohio? Yeah. Did he a, serve in, in Ohio? Ohio?
2: Um, I think so.
1: Because this name sounds really familiar. I think
2: I... Well, th- and this might be why. So he's got this map with X marks the spot for, for Beth's case. But he is also very interesting to police for Erica Baker, who is a nine-year-old who disappeared from Kettering, Ohio, walking her dog, February 7th, 1999. Erica is never seen again. Case remains unsolved to this day. And at the time of Erica's disappearance, James Parton was living with his parents in Kettering, just a couple of miles from where Erica disappeared walking her dog. So he is an interesting suspect, police have said, in the Colorado case that we're talking about this week, as well as Erica Baker from 99 in ohio all right we digested all that let's get back to one final twist here lynn lynn mclaughlin i have some questions for her and i mean this literally directly to her if she ever hears this and i'm going to ask the questions that i have for the rest of the episode she's quoted at fox news here earlier this year i think and i just want to read this article because this is where lynn has some theories as to what happened and she's done her research professionally, and I'm sure at an amateur level, now she's retired as well. From Fox News, McLaughlin named two potential suspects in Miller's disappearance who were never charged. Edward Apodaca, who was a former law enforcement officer, and his girlfriend, Viola Moya. Apodaca lived nearby. He owned a red pickup truck similar to the one witnesses described, or a witness described at the time of Miller's vanishing. So this is all coming from Lynn. We need to make that perfectly clear, but she's out there putting unindicted people's names in the press. Uh, Moya apparently gave a statement to an investigator in 1993 saying the two of them together had dismembered the 14-year-old and buried her remains. So you do see, if that statement's correct and accurate, you see why Lynn is pretty interested in this. So McLaughlin at this point is a clear creek county sheriff's investigator she went to the alleged burial site with other investigators and they started to dig they found a quote t-shirt similar to the one that beth was wearing at the time of her disappearance end quote so they went to the sheriff and they told him what she had found and when she came back to the same scene a large piece of equipment had been moved over the apparent burial site obstructing mclaughlin's access to anything of potential importance in her sister's case the man operating the equipment told her that he was, quote, taking orders from the sheriff, end quote. Uh, Lynn says, I can't remember if it was a bulldozer or a backhoe or what it was, but it was covering up everything and it completely, the trees, bushes, everything was gone from where we had marked and where the bloodhounds had alerted, she says. So she confronted the sheriff and she was told she would be charged with interfering with an investigation with trespass and a list of charges if she ever went back to that site again. That was the end. She never went back. It's It's noted in the article here that this Apodaca... His wife and her mother later killed him in New Mexico in 1990. Moya had grown old and was considered too incapacitated to be questioned or charged, according to McLaughlin. And she says, I know whoever did it, they are still facing their best judgment time when they die, end quote. So Lynn has done this work through her professional work, and now she's naming names.
1: Right. So question, I I think I'm a little confused, though. So this Apodaca's wife and her mother killed him because they think that he's he was guilty of this. no no oh. they killed
2: him for something different it's a very oh something strange, unrelated oh okay. yes okay. something unrelated in <laughs> 1990 so seven years later
1: oh my
2: god i tried to get to the bottom of this apodaca and i wish i'd never seen his name edward there is an edward l apodaca senior who was shot and killed by his mother-in-law and probably his wife possibly he was shot and killed on april 17th 1990 he was 52 in 83 at the time of best disappearance seven years later mother-in-law is tried and convicted by the way she received life in prison so that's edward l apodaca senior he's described in his obituary as a lifelong resident of albuquerque new mexico i can't ever put him in colorado which doesn't necessarily mean he wasn't there however edward l apodaca jr same first name same last name obviously same middle name or at least the same middle initial he is known to have lived in colorado he lived in pueblo as of 1990 he would have been 27 years old in 1983 if i have even this right so far these are two different people are we sure it's the father are we sure it's the senior and not the junior 1974 one edward l apodaca was arrested along with seven other people in a huge drug bus that netted one million dollars worth of heroin that was in 74 when he would have been 19 don't know for sure if it's the same one as junior of the two Ed Apodacas. To add to the confusion, in California in 1989, an Edward L. Apodaca of Hayward, California, described in newspaper accounts as a 32-year-old unemployed auto painter, was arrested for kidnapping and raping a 16-year-old girl. The victim told police she had been stopped by him walking from a BART station. He forced her into the man's car. He then drove to a remote location off a canyon road and raped her. Edward L. Apodaca of Hayward, California, in 1989 is said to be 32 years old. Edward L. Apodaca of Colorado, the junior that we know about, would have been 33 in 1989. I know there are two. I know there's senior and junior, but beyond that, I don't know which is supposedly to have lived in Colorado and which was supposedly in law enforcement. Junior, I know, lived in Colorado. So my first question is why does she think it's senior? And my second question is can you put him in colorado also what's his law enforcement experience that she alludes to because there's a the fact that i haven't found it doesn't mean it doesn't exist but there's an officer edward apodaca with a deming new mexico police department in 89 which would have been a year before he was shot but that deming is 250 miles away from albuquerque which doesn't make sense so i don't know
1: But would he have had any reason to be in Colorado at that time?
2: He definitely could have traveled to Colorado, but what Lynn says is this guy lived there. He lived nearby. And Junior lives in Pueblo pretty much all his life, from what I can tell. Pueblo is not near Idaho Springs. You can say it's a couple hours away, but you wouldn't say it's nearby when you're talking about like a homicide. There's an age progress photo of Beth that we put up on the website officials say to date no physical evidence of remains have been found anybody with information about the case contact idaho springs police department or cbi number in the show notes net that is the disappearance of beth miller from right near my hometown so the the rumor growing up or the rumor what my dad told me i guess was oh yeah some uh, girl got eaten by a mountain lion out there that was his
1: oh my god theory
2: as to what happened but no that is not what happened no. That much I can tell you. Let's take it one by one. Anything you, you can add on to, but in terms of like the theories and the the twists, this car wash thing, what do you make yeah, of I that?
1: Don't, I don't understand the car wash connection at all. Like the person who wrote that note, did that person work at the car wash? It we was don't just know just who wrote it, but it's signed with day. this guy. Um, right.
2: Yeah. And then Shauna, is, Shauna Webb is named first and last name in this writing or etching or whatever it is. And she ends up dead by the time it's found.
1: And we think that it was written in between the two girls, but we don't know for sure.
2: There's no way to know when it was was written.
1: Because what if it was written after Shawna Webb died and somebody was just trying to nail this guy yeah for both i think that's possible
2: thing. i think that's possible so either that's kind
1: of what my thought was well, the it, entire time it, it could be
2: him you can get a picture for him with his goofy kind of mental role-playing games when he's talking about sacrificing people to satan this is right yeah. you know satanic panic time too right I so he watched an that. episode of maury and decided he was going to go write that i think he definitely could have written it but if he wrote it why would he include her name in there yeah deflections my favorite though that's my favorite theory if you're beth's abductor and killer you just simply confess to both under his name and wait for somebody to find it i, I don't think that's what happened necessarily but and then there are the uh, the various sightings of course which leads me to the usual uh, you know is there a chance she's still alive out there
1: well and the sightings is you know that's always something that catches my attention because I feel like some people are really trying to honestly do the right thing, and maybe they think, okay, see something, say something. Hey, if you never mention it, you never know. You know, some people may just have that image of a missing person in their mind and see someone, and they're like, well, can't hurt just to report it. I saw somebody who looked like them. Can't be sure until we look look into it. So. I like that people are reporting it, but then sometimes I do feel like people just take advantage and use Well, whatever this woman in Florida
2: was doing, she's the one that confessed to being her. Yeah,
1: that's, that's evil, weird. Because
2: then mom and dad are going to get on the plane and come
1: down. Yeah, so. that's really weird. That's why I asked you when that was, if it was a couple years or yeah, if it, was, it was like a decade later. Yeah, it was right after. Later, it was like a
2: year or two later. That's
1: just insane to it me. It is.
2: And this person, obviously, whoever it was, would have been 14 or 15 or right. appeared to be 14 or 15. That James Parton thing out by you... Yeah. Super interesting. And this guy, they're like thinking he's one. he's a serial killer, basically. They're thinking it's legit possible, the case in both Colorado and then the one out in uh, the nine-year-old in Ohio, too. That's
1: just insane. And that, that Kettering place, that is very close to me. That's like uh, 40 minutes from me.
2: Well, what are you doing with the a picture? I get because it's all over the newspaper, and you're clearly disturbed when it comes to girls who look like that or whatever's going on in Young your brain. Young children, yeah. I don't. I don't think it's impossible. A guy like that clips a picture of her out of a, a People magazine, and so they wrote him off for John Bonet right away. But wait, you've got a map of yeah. Idaho Springs and a newspaper clipping and three X's.
1: Yeah, that's weird.
2: Yeah, it's beyond weird. You you go check it out at that point. And yeah, I, assume and they they did did. I assume they did. I assume they did. I think they probably. God, I hope they did.
1: I would hope they did. Because
2: you literally have a map. with You have X. the map. <laughs> Right. There's also, um, the if you go to the oh, Charlie three. Project for this case, there there was somebody found at some point some uh, artifacts or bones along I-72 mm. somewhere, and so that could be possible. But,
1: well, I mean, we talk about that all the time, too. That could be a number of victims.
2: Mm-hmm. On the one hand, the fact that he's got this photo of John Benet, so he's kind of a collector of stuff like this, you know. Ugh. Does he go as far as wonder if he's innocent, doesn't have anything to do with it, does he Read the newspaper article, get super curious, and say, here's where I would do it. Mm. We've seen that in some of our cases, though.
1: We have. We have, like, with the apartment number yes. or whatever. Yes. Yeah. That's what mm-hmm. I was thinking
2: of. But you definitely go check it out. And then they wanted to talk to him. But he doesn't have to talk to them. And he's already out after two months back then. And then goes back <sighs> for 10 years after that. And then they finally have some leverage over him. But it was too bad because it got washed away as a Bonet lead in the press. You know, imagine being best parents. The guy yeah. has X's on a map of Idaho Springs. We're pretty interested.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like you said, Idaho Springs isn't that huge of a place. Like, so if somebody has three X's on a map for that place, yeah.
2: And then Lynn developing her own theory, and I mean, she's out there naming names, which I don't, I don't do, but um, she has. And then I, I just to be
1: fair, the people that she named are dead already, right?
2: uh no, the son's still alive. I'll bet. So you have Apodaca Senior. Who was murdered? And you have Apodaca Junior, who has lived in Colorado his whole life.
1: Well, and if she she was a deputy or whatever, she has access to certain things. She may she does, know where she they does. Lived. But
2: I have informed investigators of things like this before that have either been missed or mistaken, mm-hmm. and they have the same middle initial. They have they have a senior and a junior. They're very confusing. Um oh, man. fifty. I don't know. I mean, unless Beth knew him, he would have been fifty-two at the time of the disappearance. It's getting on the higher end of age, when we talk about predation of a 14-year-old, definitely possible. But
1: Well, and I have a question, too. So you said that uh, witnesses, whether it was a witness or a couple witnesses, her friends, whoever, said that uh, the the guy in the truck pulled up and talked to her, and she kind of brushed him off. But then No, it- I
2: didn't say that. There's no comments about how he was acting or what he was doing or how she was acting or what she was doing. He was in the truck, and he was talking to her three or four days before. Oh, okay. A, so there was no follow-up
1: with it until she went missing. Right. It's
2: not, okay. it's not anything that you're going to call anybody about. But then yeah. when she goes missing, it's like, who was that guy in the truck?
1: Oh, okay. I thought for some reason I misinterpreted that. I thought like she was talking to him, she blew him off, no, and then nobody like said anything until she went missing. And they're like, well, there was this one weird guy. Nothing
2: and, like that that I know gotcha. about. But either her friends were around her or for some reason it was remarkable enough where she told them about okay. the gotcha. conversation.
1: I mean, I know at that time, too, it was very common for kids and teens to walk everywhere they went. So aside from her running and getting ready for this basketball thing or whatever, she probably walked to and from school, to and from her friends' houses. So it was just normal. It could have been somebody just watching her, just a pedophile watching her.
2: Idaho Springs is in a canyon, and there's no room for, like, the town. So you have, like, a main street, and then immediately you start kind of going uphill, up the wall of the canyon. And she lived up, you know, on this sloped hill on a dirt road. And so I'm really curious where she was taken. Obviously, we don't know exactly where she was taken from. But this is not a place where she lived that somebody off the interstate is going to find their way to just by accident or just by happenstance. So that lends to local. That lends to at least having seen her in a place before. But if she got down to the more, you know, exit streets off of the interstate, that's a whole different thing. You know, she's at a gas station getting a water from her jog it could be anybody. But her house is pretty remote. It's not remote, it's just removed on a dirt road up this canyon wall. I think where she was taken, if there was a way to find that, it'd be nice to find you know a shoe or something. Where she was taken would tell you a lot. Where she was taken would at least tell you is this somebody local or has seen her before or regular through town or is this somebody from out of town?
1: I think so too because you did mention how the siblings and the mom and the dad come and go, kind of chaotic. So depending on when she was taken and where she was taken from like her parents thought she was babysitting at some point so where was she supposed to be babysitting at like what would her route have been to and from there um and then when she decided to run which siblings would have possibly crossed paths with her on any other day
2: right yeah Yeah, i don't even know what time timeline wise we don't have a lot i don't know what time she was last seen it's gonna be later in the day though if she's supposed to be babysitting you're probably not babysitting it well maybe you are maybe they go off to work i don't know so we don't have any of that or who is the last person that saw her the thing there there was a witness sighting that it just comes from one unnamed witness who may have seen her talking to somebody in a vehicle on that day i'm not sure that's all we have and that's it and i always say it's very unlikely obviously that people in these cases are still alive today and then sure enough
1: yeah, you need to quit saying they that. They pop how many up times all the has time. Has that happened? Yeah.
2: It's happened like four times in the last six months, it feels like.
1: I know. You Which, you and Courtney both sent me that link here. <laughs> every
2: I time like, I see one of those, that's Heather. Yep.
1: Because it's possible, man. It
2: is definitely possible. I don't think it's likely here. but I
1: mean, think about how possible. many years those three girls were in the Castro house. Yeah.
2: I think that's a really exceptional You think? Circumstance. Until
1: just wait like look how many houses you pass every single day how many of those houses have like
2: people captive in? well they say how Probably many times do you see a murderer or pass a murder on the 36 street times you, you know exactly. mm-hmm. yeah. i hope that uh that lynn gets a hold of this uh somehow i'd love to just ask some questions and pass along any other additional information or you can point us in the right direction if we got anything wrong from the public reporting and the research So please do. Thank you all for reaching out. Thank you for listening. Thanks to our Patreon supporters. And we'll be back coming up here next week.